Welcome everybody to the Help for Hip Dysplasia podcast. I'm your host, Laura Rutterford, a physiotherapist, Pilates instructor, and fellow hippie. We're here to talk about all things hip dysplasia, to build a community, to support and guide each other through the ups and the downs. If you like the podcast, please share it and rate it. It really helps others to find it too. If you have any questions or feedback, please email me at laura at helpforhipdysplasia.com. I also just wanted to let you know that I am now on Patreon with my library of hip-friendly Pilates and mobility classes, my Stand Stronger program, and lots more useful hip-friendly tools. If you want to have a look at this, check this out at patreon.com forward slash help for hip dysplasia, or you can find it in the link in my Instagram bio or on my website. Let's get on with the show. Welcome everybody to the Help for Hip Dysplasia podcast. This week we've got with us Alana Smith um, from down in Hampshire. Welcome Alana. Hello, thanks for having me Laura. It's so lovely to have you here. We've been talking about um, doing this on and off for a little while so I'm really really happy to be able to <laughs> it's been about a year now I think but with regards to uh, what's been going on in the world it's taken a little bit longer for us to connect but yeah I'm really happy to be here today absolutely and I know that there's um a few common themes between us of the stuff that we really like to emphasize which I'm excited to get around to but first of all I would just love to just hear a bit about your hip journey where it all started and a bit of the detail to where we are now if you wouldn't mind yeah sure I'll um try and do the uh, postcard version um I've always had problems with my joints um when I was little I had Osgood Schlatter's disease in my knees so that was kind of like the growing disease people aren't sort of familiar with it so it's when your your joints are growing sort of quicker than your your body can take when you're that age I was only sort of four or five um and then hip dysplasia wasn't actually picked up until 2013. So from the journey of being very little, having problems with my joints, having knocked knees, uh, falling over, I was always in a lot of pain with my hips and my knees. Um, and it was noticed that I was hypermobile from quite a young age. Um, but I was always going to things like a chiropractor and an osteopath and sort of being treated holistically that way, which would have some great effects and it would help me sort of temporarily but it wasn't a, a fix it was a, a quick fix for an interim period but it wasn't a fix for like a long period of time um so it wasn't until I got a bit older in sort of my mid-20s really uh, for context I'm, I'm 40 this year so I guess that's 15 years ago now um that <laughs> um, it was um one of my exes he picked it up before because I used to be in so much pain that I couldn't get out of bed he would physically have to haul me out of bed and I would be hobbling and he'd have to take me to the bathroom and yes it was it was just absolutely awful and it had a big impact on my mental well-being as well I didn't want to be sort of a burden to people so I didn't really talk about it much because when I did I, I had a few comments of people say well she's whinging about her joints again and and it wasn't the case that I wanted people to feel sorry for me or anything. I wanted there to be sort of an understanding, say, well, if I'm not coming out tonight to, to party with you guys, it's because actually I'm, I'm absolutely exhausted because I think people don't realise that joint pain can have a cognitive effect as well because it's your whole body and your whole body is out of alignment. Therefore, your brain is then out of alignment with the rest of your body and it can, can hurt sort of mentally and physically um so that's kind of 
the progress of the hurt and that kind of side of things and the, the growing to to understand it and when I actually got diagnosed it got to a point where I was just in so much pain I was fed up with my hips hurting so I went to the doctors and I said quite quite firmly I said, look you know I'm, I'm usually quite quite a, a kind relaxed person but I felt like I had to be quite assertive like come on we can get this sorted so I, I said to the doctor at the time so look I really I need an x-ray on my hips because all these years of pain you can have a look through my records this has been going on and nothing's been sorted and I said I I'm demanding an x-ray I need this done this week <laughs> how did I go down how did the how was the response from the doctor well he actually said to me he said right okay well we'll do an x-ray but we won't find anything is what he said verbatim <laughs> and less than 24 hours later I get a phone call say so, um you think you better come back in I'm like yeah what do you think <laughs> and um that then led on to me having an MRI and subsequently they discovered that I've got um crumbling in my lower discs I think it's between my L L1 and 5 or S1 and L5 I, I can never quite remember but it's lower part of my back which is <laughs> uncommon for someone that works in a desk job as well um, but then I've got bilateral hip dysplasia with bilateral labral tears and um, I've got not knees as well my knees point inward so my rotation is inward rather than outward um, I don't know if that sort of makes sense to anybody but <laughs> but then after that it was then going through a process of okay well what, what can we do here um, how can we manage it um, I had different pain medications, some worked, some didn't, so I had to change them. Uh, I've had a little bit of physio as well, which is always good. Mm -hmm. And um, what else? Oh, they, um, in, I think it was 2013, it was the first time I had a therapeutic injection into my right hip joint, um, because that's the, the side that's worse for me, which was actually fantastic because it worked for about, a year and a half for me without much pain at all really? yeah <laughs> it's quite uncommon to hear that really because I know some people it it will work and it will just work for a couple of months or something or some people won't have any effect at all but for me it, it gave me a new lease of life for a short period of time and I'm so grateful of that and actually so grateful for for people to actually listen and and take on board what I was saying about my hip dysplasia which is fantastic um but actually um sorry so go back a little bit um after I'd had my x-rays done and MRI they weren't really too keen to treat me at first so what I needed to do well I didn't need to do is what my mum paid for me to do bless her is actually paid for me to go to a spire clinic uh, a private hospital um where they actually said to me, I'm not too sure how you've been walking around like this for such a long time. And then he referred me back to himself on the NHS, which is then when I had the first hip injection. So that was a, a bit of a battle, sort of going through that. Um, yeah, so I'm not too sure where to sort of take it from, from there. If you want me to just keep going or... <laughs> yeah, well, I know there's a lot more to this story, but um, to sort of pick up on... A couple of things that you've just said there the I mean yeah. the month relief from that injection like you said isn't isn't a common outcome however 
when I talk to people about injections, um, the the thing about the injections is that it depends on how you use that window of opportunity, right, as to how effective yeah. it can be. And sometimes you'll have an injection that can give you a few months of pain relief, and that gives you an opportunity to really work on some of the strength or get yourself moving again, which subsequently will get you stronger, and then you're more supportive yes. so by the time that the injection wears off, then yeah. you're stronger, and then you can yeah. move a little bit more effectively. Um not everybody is that fortunate sometimes the injections aren't successful and it doesn't give you that relief and that window of opportunity yeah but it sounds like perhaps it did give you that window you were able to be a little bit more active because of it which then made you stronger and gave you that longer lease of lease of life I think you described it as yeah it, it did definitely and I think now even further down the line I've realized after my operation that I had last year, that how important mobility is and doing mobility exercises daily, like it's a, a religion, you have to do it, I think, that it, it's had such a, a great impact and change on my life in a positive way that I'd actually only wish that I'd started doing it sooner. That I've always been a relatively active person. I don't like to sit still for, for too long. I love going out for walks. I've never been particularly great at running, but I gave it a shot, you know. I've, I did Tough Mudder one year and things. So, you know, I think sheer stubbornness maybe and stupidity, but... <laughs> But that's also quite interesting, isn't it? Because like you said, you've, you know, you've been quite active and mobile and strong. And then we go through these parts of our journey when then we're in this suddenly life changing pain. And yeah. then, you know, you're surrounded by this, this change in lifestyle. And so all of a sudden you are not able to do some of the things that you want to do. And you're then surrounded by a social situation that you're very unfamiliar with. So yeah, before we jump into sort of the next start part of this journey with sort of the more surgical side that I know we've okay. still got to dig into, how did it feel as a social individual who likes to spend time with family and friends and then starting to struggle with some of the things that you'd always been able to do? I think it felt terribly isolating and part of that I think was because of my mental well-being the aspects from that as well I think because it's something that's so out of your control and as much as you can sort of read up about hip dysplasia and join various Facebook groups and get fed lots of different information I think unless you're actually talking about it freely and unguarded to sort of family and friends then it, it kind of feels like there's a bit of a stigma attached to it because it is a disability. It might not be picked up by the government or something you can register for, for a blue badge unless you, you know you have hundreds of medical records and stuff. So I, I tried for disability a couple of years ago when I was in a lot of pain and thought I couldn't work and I was rejected. Um, but yeah, it, it can be terribly isolating, but I think the thing for people to do is just, just be open about it. Just talk to people. Um, people you trust and people that won't mind you sort of chewing their ears off <laughs> about it sometimes because the more you bottle it up I think the more the more it can really affect you and make you sad and upset and I've I've been through that and sometimes even now I have days when I feel 
feel like that because of it all the residual effects of it and but then I look back in in the past and how far I've come now I think gosh wow like even through those really dark times I felt absolutely rubbish how resilient am I to get to the stage where I am now of all that all that stuff that I've faced all the battling with doctors and things they've said and getting rejected and be like no no I, I know myself and I can get through this and going out into social situations like you were saying I just I used to love going to gigs and I still do when we can um but I'd call up in advance and say look I've, I've got hip problems I'm in a lot of pain could you provide a chair for me and they're more than happy to do that if that's your kind of thing or if you're going to a theatre and you've got a seat that you're like oh well access might be difficult just call up people and let them know because if you're not speaking about it then they're not going to know either so <laughs> I think that's a really really amazing thing to talk about in a bit more detail if you don't mind because I think mm -hmm. without having that that disability status you know like you were saying the blue badge so this is in the UK yeah. we, you know we yes the blue badge um for disabilities and we have to apply mm. for um for that for that status and it's incredibly difficult to get like I'm sure it is in a lot of other countries um but if you don't have that that label do you in some ways feel or did was it difficult to go through that process to feel confident enough to call somebody and say do you know what I'm having trouble with this and no I don't have a blue badge and I don't have a disability official status but actually I'm struggling with it and I'd really appreciate some help was that a difficult transition to go through Yes, it was. And I was quite lucky. I mean, only recently, it's only in 2019, I was actually diagnosed with um, officially with hypermobility spectrum disorder, sort of more erring towards the um, Ilias Daniels hypermobility side. And that then got me onto a pain management scheme which was very helpful. Um, but I also, for clarity, I'm on... Um, antidepressants as well only a very small dose I don't know if I'm allowed to say what it is or you can say whatever you yeah whatever you feel um... <laughs> to know so um, please feel free to talk about whatever you feel is important yeah I, I know that it's not for everybody but it's it's really helped me um I'm just on 10 milligrams of um citalopram here in the UK which is a very small dose and it's just sort of helped me to sort of rationalize my emotions a bit more and sit back and be reflective rather than just so getting caught up in a whirlwind if your heart's racing and everything seems like it's unmanageable um so that's kind of where I'm at with that at the moment but like you said with the the disabilities and things I was very lucky to go into the pain management program um but also um I've really had to battle going through um free therapy through um our NHS service because unfortunately it takes months so after my operation last year I was really struggling uh, the month after and I felt like I couldn't really cope well at all and it was only until two weeks ago they called me up to actually book in my first appointment so can and I clarify then what was the what was the date of your surgery when did you apply for the help with your mental health and how long has it been since you applied um the date of my surgery was the 11th of August 2020 last year and I applied for help around about a month later, so I guess around and about the 11th of September. Um, and then they 
contacted me about two weeks ago to actually book in a first appointment. There have been some contact in between them, but it was mostly me chasing to say, look, I really need some help. I'm, I'm really, really struggling. And um, I know our poor NHS service is, is very much struggling and it always has been for a very long time. But it just shows that, you know, this, this does have an impact or can have an impact on your mental well-being. And sometimes you don't feel you can, like I said earlier, you can vent to people that you, you know you love and you trust, but also just to talk to somebody who is outside of your inner sanctum, inner circle, as it were, would be really beneficial. But I mean, I'm in a very strong position right now, so I didn't actually need, I, or I didn't feel I needed the therapy. I think everybody could actually do with some, some therapy because it's actually nice to vent and have the support. And sometimes they think, oh, I said no, but actually things have happened in the past two weeks that I really could have vented about. Um, but that was more specifically for my pain and my pain management and like you're saying, the, the disability and, the social aspect of that I wanted just some help through it and guidance and unfortunately I, I, I didn't have that so I had to work it out myself. <laughs> I think something that comes across is that you've you've had or it seems whether this is learned or whether this is just a part of your natural persona your personality it seems like you have found a way to be confident about asking for the help that you want need deserve. Um, if there was anybody listening that perhaps didn't feel that they had that confidence whether like learnt or natural or otherwise is there any tips that you could give them for trying to find that confidence to ask for the help that you feel you really need um, well yeah definitely I think one thing that I did um which people might seem like oh it, it seems like too much effort it's really not is that I kept a, a pain management diary so I would note down three things in the morning that how I was maybe feeling like almost like a gratitude thing like oh what I'm grateful for and then I'd also write down how I was particularly feeling emotionally that day and how my pain levels were on like a scale of one to ten and then that sort of helped me realize that okay I'm grateful for these three things in my life I'm grateful for the warm sun and the blue sky and my loving family but this pain is affecting me and this is how it's sort of bringing out these emotions that you know I, I don't feel so confident and I don't feel so strong but I think for me I mean I, I always come across like this this is part of the reason why I didn't actually get uh, my disability because they said to me oh you seem absolutely fine on the phone and that kind of thing it's like because I love talking to people and you sound like a really nice lady and you've got the same name as me so <laughs> for me that was great um but I think really it's it's fighting your own corner. You know how you feel in your essence, in yourself. You know how this pain is affecting you in your life. And if it starts to affect you and your personality, who you are, you have to make that conscious decision, be like, right, I'm going to make the change. And it, I'm not going to say that it's going to be instant because it's probably not. Mine wasn't. I'm not sounded this confident or been this confident all the time. I've had big breakdowns. I've questioned my life it's it's got to that point it's got that extreme at times I'm not ashamed to say that but I think you really have to love yourself and believe in yourself and you can do it if I can do it you can do it that's what I say and I'll also say that if anyone wants to send me an email or a message if they're struggling please do because if there's anything I can do to just pass on that bit of love and support for someone else I'm, I'm more than happy to do so 
And I think what what's lovely about that, and thank you so much for being so honest and open with your feelings and your experiences. I think there's probably a lot of people out there that just think, thank goodness I'm not alone from hearing that. So thank you so, so much for that. Um, but it really does bring us on nicely to having that need for the support and somebody to talk to that isn't in your inner circle. And yeah. if you love the, you know, the people around you, your friends, your family, your spouses, sometimes you just need to speak to somebody who can relate on a personal level to the experiences that you're feeling or yeah. completely removed from the situation. Because you mentioned a word earlier and I wanted to cycle back to this when it was appropriate and hopefully you feel it is now, but you mentioned the word burden. Um, and that yeah. is, that is oh, at the bottom of my whys. So I don't know if anyone's ever done the five whys before for anything that they're doing in their life, but you, know, you find a reason for doing something and then you ask, why are you doing that? And then what's the reason for that and that and that? And you get further and further down. And at the bottom of my five whys is always that I don't want to be a burden to somebody. Yeah, um, And it's really, really difficult to ask for help or talk about the things that are really difficult for you when you're somebody that's so conscious of not wanting to burden somebody else with your own difficulties and struggles. So having somebody external like that, we've already mentioned that it's important to seek this support system. So yeah, yeah, having having some method of contact for somebody outside is really something that, you know, I really agree is something to to push for. So yeah, definitely. I mean, I've, I found through um, blogging and things, actually, that I mean, a fair few years ago now, when I used to be under a different um, pseudonym for my blogging, um, I did a whole post about I was off sick that day. And I thought, you know, what? I just want to lie here in bed. But I'm going to get a post out about my hip dysplasia because that's why I was in bed and I didn't feel very well. And I wanted people to understand. So, <laughs> so I kind of went on a little internet rant in a, a blog format and I posted out into the ether and then a couple of weeks later I actually had a lady contact me from Ireland and she said I'm so good so glad sorry that I stumbled across your blog because I'm in the same boat my family don't understand they're trying I've got two little kids I can hardly walk um, and we were just messaging each other back and forth and just sort of being as a nice support to each other and that was lovely then she had her surgery and we sort of naturally parted ways I think as people do but just to to know that you've also been there to support someone else through a situation and it's just like a, a mutual appreciation for each other and support was was great so yeah yeah um if uh, anybody's listening um that has heard of PAO Buddies I don't know if you've heard of this um, yeah so yeah, I've spoken um, with PO Buddies quite a lot recently and they're involved in the Hip Awareness Week that um, we did with Miles for Hips as well. And they've yeah. set up a new website um, for matching people so that they do have that support system. Oh, lovely. So the idea is that you can go onto their website and you can either apply to have support or be support for somebody. Yeah. So, um, yeah, PO Buddies. Um, and yeah they're doing such incredible work and it's this charity organization and uh, so many people have found people that are either a similar age or have similar hobbies or are going through similar surgeries and it just allows them to have that support outside of their um, immediate bubble that they can just have that personal experience with and um, I hope they don't mind me talking about it again in uh, the <laughs> 
but I just think it's such a wonderful thing to do because it means so much to have somebody that you can speak to um, and feel supported. And can I check that where it's called PAO Buddies, is that open for a full spectrum of people with hip dysplasia? Because I know obviously a PAO is quite different because I had a PFO in my operation. So. <laughs> Absolutely. So um, they have had people with different versions of different surgeries and hip replacements and um, yeah. FAI and lots of different um, mm. things that kind of go all around um, the, the circle of hip dysplasia. Yeah. And so that's the that's the beauty of their site, because they can match up people that have had similar types of surgeries. So, um, yeah. For example, you with a PFO, and um, they might find that somebody else is coming with another surgery like that, or um, vice versa, to support each other. So um, it's absolutely worth if you're listening, going and checking out that website. Um, if you want to be able to support somebody, or you're looking for somebody to help support you, so yeah, please go and check that out if you haven't. Had I'm going to sign up. <laughs> <laughs> Don't have to tell me twice, Laura. <laughs> um, but yeah it's just amazing what this community has started doing and the, the, all the connections that are around now and thank goodness for social media and the internet yeah. and, you know this globe <laughs> of this niche community together so I'm forever grateful yeah. for the internet and social media for that so and um, we did just happen to mention there which I really wanted to come back to your PFO so would you mind telling us a little bit about how it got to the stage where you decided to have that surgery what it really meant for you and um, a little bit of detail about the surgery yeah sure um again I had another injection to my hip joint my right hip joint and that was in 2018 and that didn't work at all uh so it was then right what are the next steps I'm disappointing after the last one with you first right this is amazing keep bringing up is so I can have a hip replacement no that's great um yeah unfortunately it didn't work that time and it's actually it was quite traumatic because I'd been booked in for general um but they decided 30 minutes before my operation they're going to do it local <laughs> so I was all geared up for for going under and having a nice little snooze and then it was suddenly like there's a big needle into your hip joint not not to scare anybody <laughs> Which is just for it. So you you know it's coming, you can see it happening and you're just like, Yes. Yeah, it's that anticipation. Um yeah, so unfortunately that didn't work as well. So then it was reviewing it again, and I was then referred to my um first consultant to another one which uh, specializes in PAOs, and um he saw me and he wasn't very nice to be honest I know other people that have been with him they say he's absolutely fantastic and he's done an amazing job for them which I'm sure he is a wonderful surgeon but as a person we just didn't mesh well together and I was in tears in his office because he wasn't willing to do anything and he said to me another another verbatim I must remember these little snippets <laughs> He said, I can't wave a magic wand and make everything better. I went to medical school, not Hogwarts, is what he said to me. And that's a, a senior surgeon, a professional. It's like, dude, I expect you've probably had a bad day, but you don't need to be saying that to someone who's in tears in your office because they're in pain and they just want some help. <laughs> So that wasn't good. Um, so what he referred me to was his um, mentor up in London. 
And prior to that, I was having some hydrotherapy, which if anybody can get on hydrotherapy, I fully endorse it because you're just in a nice big cozy bath and you're just doing some light exercises and it's absolutely wonderful. <laughs> if I could do it daily, I would do. I, I found it wonderful um, because I was doing land-based physio, but because where my knees are so knocked and my joints are sort of pointing inward so much, I couldn't quite get the correct angles. So that's why they offered me hydrotherapy, which was marvellous. Yeah, um, I want to circle back to that because there's so, so much, so much benefit in that. Yeah. So many things that I love about it. So we'll definitely cycle back to that. Uh, oh, yeah, of course. Um, so after that, I got referred to London. And again, it was another person seeing me of like, oh gosh, they, they, they start to measure your feet and get rulers out and do your mobility lying on your back on the bed and seeing how far you can stretch and hearing all your, your joints cracking and <laughs> all the snap, crackle and pop, as we like to call it. Um, yeah, and then he was absolutely, I mean, he is absolutely fantastic. He's one of my most favourite people. He's given me a new lease of life, in, in my opinion. Um, but it took... I thought it was going to take months and months. I saw him in the January of last year, then I had my operation in the August. So I thought that was, considering there's been a big lockdown and COVID, I thought it was absolutely fantastic. Um, did you want me to go into the whole surgery process and stuff? Yeah, I would love to hear about it because I don't think we've had anybody on the podcast so far talk about a PFO. So um, apologies if I have and I've uh, glanced over it. Apologies if that's you. <laughs> Um, but I don't think we've heard a lot of detail about PFO. So yeah, if you wouldn't mind talking us a little bit through that process, how it felt um, when it was explained to you um, and then, yeah, the actual surgery itself. Of course. I think for me, it's, I'm, I'm kind of at that awkward age for surgeons because I'm in my, my late thirties. Um, so they didn't really want to do a hip replacement just yet, even though my hip socket is quite shallow on my right side. Um, but the femoral heads weren't looking too bad, but they weren't fully covered, um, especially on my right side. So what they suggested doing instead of a, a PAO to, to slice the hip bone and move it over the joint, they did a PFO, which is a proximal femur osteotomy. And that is where they cut towards the top of your femoral head. So you've got like the top of your femur is the, the ball and then it's got the long bit for your femur going down if anyone can sort of visualize that. Mm -hmm. um, so they cut that and then they move it so it's further covered by the hip socket. And they just put a like a sheet of metal down the side of your femur and pin it into place. So that's what a PAFO is. And that was all explained to me and the benefits that it would have and the longevity of it as well. And for me, for the amount of pain and battling that I've been in for, for years, I thought, well, why not? Bring it on. Let's get this sorted. <laughs> Where do I sign? Can we do it now? <laughs> um, so, yeah. And actually, I mean, I was extremely lucky in a way to have it done through various lockdowns COVID last year um, because of what was going on in the world uh, I still had it done by my same surgeon um, but I actually had it done at the clinic the Schoen clinic in London so they actually put me through the private clinic instead of um, I was meant to have it at the London 
London College Hospital. I always forget which way around it is. London Hospital College. <laughs> one, one. <laughs> one of the two. One of the two. Um, so they were very graciously sent a taxi for me on the day um, to take me up there because obviously public transport wasn't really really working. And where I live, I would have had to have got a boat to then a a train and then underground and <laughs> that sounds incredibly awkward <laughs> it is yeah it's kind of fun though you know it's how you look at it I guess but <laughs> um yes so I was up there quite early in the morning I think I was something like third on the list for my surgery so I didn't go in until I think it was like 11 a.m but I was sat there from half past six in the morning and got all prepared got given a lovely pair of paper pants delightful um <laughs> got the arrow drawn on the correct leg that I was going to have my operation for and um obviously had to just read through bits and sign it all and got comfortable in the room and everybody was just super lovely and yeah I think surgery took sort of a couple of hours two to three hours and um yeah well when I when I came round from that I had a nice big sort of 30 centimeter scar on my leg <laughs> and a drain underneath um all internal stitching and done up the glue on the top and about an hour I guess after I'd come round the physio was in the room going right come on let's <laughs> you up and then there was me coming around from surgery I, I guess if anyone's listening to this who has had quite a big surgery under general anaesthetic before you're quite groggy and also quite emotional I just want to sleep <laughs> and then I want a cup of tea <laughs> and very people, people like us coming around the corner no you can't do that let's get yeah, you out of bed let's exactly. do what you're doing everything that you don't want to do right now yeah <laughs> I just sort of looked at him like he was the worst person in the world like no don't make me do it but I did and I was actually amazed at how obviously extremely stiff because you've been through a surgery had something quite major done but still then just from that just amazed at my mobility I thought wow okay this is I didn't think I'd be able to stand up after having this initially so here's your crutches and then I think it was a day later or two days later he had me going up and down stairs as well um so I was in the hospital from I think it was the Tuesday I went up on the 11th of August and I came back home on the Saturday. So I wasn't in for, for very long. Um, during that time, it was just making sure that I got up quite a lot and walked around. Um, with COVID, it was obviously making sure that you had a mask on. Um, the nurses were were fantastic. Everybody was just, I'm, so, I'm ever so grateful. I could sort of gush about them all, all day. <laughs> Um, but my surgeon was um, Mr. Witt. Yeah. Yes. Do you know him? I don't know him personally, awesome. but um, I yeah. know my reputation and there's a lot of wonderful things said about yeah. him. He's, he's absolutely fantastic. And a chap that was working with him, I never got his last name. His name's Rob. I think he was another one of the surgeons. And he was so lovely and he's so nice to me, bless him. But yeah, it was, it was just a really, really positive experience. And the taxi driver brought me back again on the Saturday and then from then on it was just making sure I was doing my mobility exercises every day um and getting to the point where I am now sort of almost eight months later 
um, which has taken taken a while. And when I came out of hospital, I was sort of using my crutches a lot. But then if we were going out for um, sort of a longer walk or something, my other half would push me in a wheelchair, but I'd bring my crutches so I could get up and walk as well, because that's still important. But neither of us drive. Obviously, I wouldn't have been able to drive anyway. Um, but so to get out and about, it was just easier for him to actually push me in a wheelchair. Um, I don't know what it's like for everyone else around the world, but in the UK, you can actually apply to, I think it's like Samaritans and other places. You can actually get free wheelchair for a short period of time or for a very small donation as well. So if you are really struggling to be mobile, I fully suggest doing that there are resources out there to help you and if you are booked in for surgery maybe have a look into it before you go into your surgery so you have something planned and in place for you when you come out and um, that's always handy that's really one thing valuable advice thank you so much yeah I didn't know that you could apply for a wheelchair through Samaritans because yeah when you think that it has to be done by the hospital um by you know the GP service or something yeah. you know that goes through the NHS but Actually, it's fantastic to know that you can apply for that privately and that it's really reasonably priced, like you said, a donation or a small. Yes. And um, so that's absolutely amazing. And I will have a look into that and put that in the notes yes. um, the show after this. I think it's um, I think the British Red Cross as well. I think that's another place where you can get them too. So that's really good. Making lots of notes from today's conversation. Very good. <laughs> so, yeah, thank you for that. So, does that kind of take you then from your rehab coming out into hydrotherapy? Because, like I said, I really wanted to circle back to this, and you like yes, really endorse the the hydrotherapy. So, <laughs> was that something that you were offered, or did you have to apply for it, or did you kind of make a way for you to do it yourself by accessing a pool privately? How was your process? I was I was actually offered it um, from the hospital. That was on the same day that I saw the the Harry Potter guy, the wizard, <laughs> <laughs> the wizardly surgeon. Um, so I was offered that by the physio in the room uh, because she assessed me on the same day and noticed that because my knees, how they were placed, uh, the land based physio wasn't really working for me at that time. I didn't have much core strength either because I've been quite unmotivated at the time and quite down. So I hadn't been doing my mobility regularly. So she suggested um, hydrotherapy and actually just referred me to their hydrotherapy department. And um, this is a uh, QA hospital in Portsmouth. And I saw a lovely, lovely lady there called Rose. Um, Sabrina Rose I think her name is and she was just absolutely wonderful and um, she was ever so helpful and and really kind and that's what I found through like most of this process that the people I have interacted with that generally wanted to help have been really kind and supportive and that's been been brilliant and I did a course of I think I was there once a week for 12 weeks I think I did it in the end um and she said to me, oh, how are you sort of feeling after every one? And it got to sort of the last one. She said, you can apply to carry on as well if you want to. And I sort of made the conscious decision of like, no, I think, you know, I, I can I can go this alone now. <laughs> I think I'm all right to kind of move on. And and after my surgery, um, obviously because of COVID and things, I, I would have loved to have gone back and done hydrotherapy and it was, has 
been suggested it was actually suggested from my surgeon that something I should pursue obviously it's not been possible um so what I've been having presently and I was signed off towards the beginning of this year actually was um physio via zoom mm -hmm. that was sort of once a week and then it got sort of once every couple of weeks and um she was I think a lady called Rianne and she was absolutely wonderful as well based up in London yeah, it's really cool to um, <laughs> that forwards and be able to do challenge challenge what the norm is of physio right so a lot yeah. of the work that we do is about behavior change and position change and teaching movement patterns and really sort of teaching you how to move your body well um, yeah and you know a lot of people traditionally I think think of physio as sort of having a having a massage and um, yeah and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so when we're now in this situation where you know hands-on treatment has been a little bit more restricted I think it's been great that people have realized a little bit more about what physio actually is and the benefits of retraining your body and you can do that via zoom you know you can yeah how to move their body you can change behaviors and movement patterns and get some really amazing outcomes without you know putting your hands on people and without sort of doing you know, soft tissue release and massage type work I'm not I'm not gonna say anything negative about it I think it can be a really fantastic adjunct um cool. but I also then think that having just the manual therapy side of things without changing the movement patterns and learning the strength yeah. and, you know behaviors is only a short-term fix you know you've mentioned mm -hmm. previously in this conversation about having some other types of treatment um so osteopathy or chiropractic where it would yeah, relief um, but I just I love that you can change behavior and movement patterns via Zoom and I'm absolutely loving this part of my career right now it changes the way that you that you teach people and the way that you interact with your patients um, and I think it's really opened some really wonderful doors. Good yeah I think it's it was definitely beneficial for me and I always used to make a, a joke of my physio that there'd be certain angles that you'd have to do certain exercises on the floor so I'd have her on my laptop and then just like get the angle can you see me can I see <laughs> what are you doing <laughs> but it was great to do that together and also um she recommended some YouTube things from the hospital that they had on there that I would have to do in the meantime and then she'd always test me when I'd see her again like right what have you been doing and I, I, I can't lie I'm like Jim Carrey and liar liar I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, oh, I've not done that one but I have been doing this one I'm doing this one really well so right you do need to do them all though that's why I asked you to do them <laughs> so I would say to um everyone like I've mentioned before like make it like physio part of your mobility part of your daily routine like is part of your own religion and the more you do it the more benefit you're going to see from it and the more it's going to make you feel feel great not only in your body but your mind as well and you just actually taking that part of control rather than thinking that everything's lost and oh, I ache and oh, I can't move this way it's even like my other half at the moment he's having problems with um just the insteps of his feet he's getting a lot of pain there it's what you need to do daily mobility with me so well, I'm not as flexible as you and I'll never be able to do that but you need to start because then your joints are going to get better and your muscles are going to get more supple and you're going to be able to move better that's the whole point <laughs> and yeah that perception that you have to be flexible or be strong to start doing the things that will make it better yeah yeah because we have the 
surgeries and things and then we get to a point like well actually I can't really move at all but the more I do this movement the better I'm going to get at it it's like anything really well I can't read very well but then the more you you start to read or start to get help with that the, the better you're going to progress so it's, it can apply to so many different things. Thank you so much for plugging the advocacy for physiotherapy I don't have to do that at all myself now <laughs> thank you. It's great yeah. <laughs> But you did mention something there that I um, again want to just come back to is that it gives you a sense of control and um, so when you feel that there are so many things that are out of your control when you've got hip dysplasia it is you know yeah. an amazing thing to know the things that you can do and the things that you do have the control over and that's one of those things that you do have the ability to to do something about and give you something to focus on and um, that you're doing something really positive for yourself um, so yeah yeah so much for, for mentioning that and the benefits that you've had and if there is anybody listening that just thinks oh it's just it's not working and I just don't want to carry on fingers crossed that this will just maybe give somebody yeah. a bit of extra motivation to to try and carry on through those really tough days and we all have them um so uh, yeah thank you so much again okay <laughs> So um, how are you doing now? You know, like you said, it's August last year that you had your surgery. So, you know, we're quite a few months down the line from that now. And how is your day-to-day -day life, your quality of life now? Uh, my quality of life is so much um, better. Um, through work, I have a desk job. But obviously, I'm not on site at the moment. Um, but they did actually um, go through a certain system where they actually got me a special chair which has really, really helped. Um, so if you're in a big company and you're sat down for most of the day, I would suggest speaking to perhaps your manager or if you've got an occupational health or HR department, if there's anything they can offer you to keep you more comfortable at work, especially if you're sat down most of the day, that'd be good. So I've got that in place at home, which has been brilliant. Um, just sort of going back slightly to when I came out of my surgery, um, I'm in a maze net. So people aren't sure what that is. It's kind of like a flat, but it's on different levels. So our bedroom's right at the top level and our lounge is kind of towards the bottom level. So when I came out of surgery, my fiance actually put our double bed in the lounge. And I also had then our lounge and kitchen kind of joined together. I had a commode in my kitchen as well so I couldn't then go keep going up and down different levels of stairs to get to the bathroom and things so if anyone is planning for surgery and can get those things in place beforehand or for when they come home that's a tip top tip from me <laughs> I'll add that to the show notes as well yeah please do <laughs> um, but yeah eight months down the line it's it's been emotional um, it's been a struggle at times I'm not gonna lie about that but it's also been um, inspiring and encouraging and learning to understand my own body more that I was upset with and disjointed with and felt like I was being a failure to myself and then looking back now like when I, I shared some things on Instagram earlier of how I was moving just after I'd had my surgery and been having a bit of a you know a bit of a rubbish morning that kind of thing and I look back at that and think gosh I'm so resilient like I've come so far and my body's gone through so much and I'm still here that you can get through it so that's a big thing that I've learned over the eight months and I think it was after about three or four months I stopped using my crutches 
And prior to that, I've been using a walking stick for about a year before my surgery. And I didn't need that at all either. And I think only just now, about eight months on, I'm starting to have a normal gait. So like a normal walking speed and not sort of rolling my hips so much. I think sometimes it's something consciously you do sort of have to catch yourself and think about as well. But again, the mobility has really helped this out of my core stability and my posture, how I hold myself and being a bit more wary and conscious of that. And eight months on, I'm now doing um, HIIT programs as well. So high intensity, high intensity interval training. Wow. There's certain things I don't do because I know that, okay, I do still have a cut in, along my femur. <laughs> and I know that's going to take a long time to heal. So I probably shouldn't do like too much jumping or running on the spot on that one. Um, but it's just listening to your own body, rolling with it and actually starting to to enjoy the mobility of it like that those 20 minutes a day that I'll do after my hip exercise that I just take to do some light stretching or some yoga and just realize that how much it's enriching my life and really helping my body and helping my joints and how far I've come because I'm now pretty much walking normally where I, I hadn't been since I was quite young it's it's just sort of a miracle to me so yeah I mean that's that's where I'm at now what a wonderful wonderful outcome from all of the things that you've been through all of the things that have tested you both mentally and physically through this journey to be in a situation where you know you were talking then at the end and it just felt like a massive sort of ability to breathe just listening to you so I can't even imagine how that feels for you and hopefully that gives people so much hope um that there is a way through even if they are going through a really difficult time right now um, and yeah. there is potentially this really big light at the end of the tunnel and listening to people like yourself is just so valuable um, and i really really appreciate your time your honesty with your journey that you've been through so thank you so much from me and then if everybody listened for your time today so Thank you so much. Um, and I know we'll keep in touch after this. So thank yeah. you. Thank you so much, Laura. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back next week again with another inspiring and incredible guest. If you'd like to be on the podcast and come and share your story, then please just send me an email at laura at helpforhipdysplasia.com. You can also find me on Instagram at laura.rutterford or by searching help for hip dysplasia and send me a message on there. I really look forward to speaking with you. We'll see you again next week. Thank you.